Hello, and welcome to the DOS Champions Podcast. It is week three of our second season. Al, how are you doing? I am on the mend from Big Rona, um, so hell of a week, and I'm finally entering like what's basically recovery from COVID. So I'm um, excited for the weekend, excited to catch up on everything, and, and very fortunate to be here. We almost couldn't do the show. Yeah, no, you, it seems like you've gotten, at least we've talked the last couple of days, and each day uh, you sound a little bit better, and today you're uh, you're seeming the best yet, so that's really good. Um, we got a pretty exciting show, actually, today. I'm Al, I'm pretty pumped about this. There's been some some exciting stuff that happened in the last, like, hour, basically, uh, two hours, so we're going to definitely get into that. Yeah, but, I'm yeah, sorry. the The episode, though, we're going to hit just a little bit of Ford Madison stuff. Um, U.S. Men's National Team talking points, which are a pretty contentious and and heating up quite nicely. And then we'll do our, our regular EPL uh, breakdown for the week. Um, Ali, got anything to add before I jump into the Ford Madison stuff? No, man. Let's jump right into it. All right. Well. Um, so Ford Madison earned a late draw on Saturday night. Al was going to be able to make it to the game, but uh, like he said, he has big Rona, so he was unable to make it. But I got to let you know, you do owe me a game still, so you, you owe me a trip. You got to come up here and see one. I absolutely will be up there as soon as I can. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it's a home playoff game, but um, you know this stoppage time goal from Alvin Jones to earn the... 1-1 draw was was pretty exciting. Uh, Ford Madison's been struggling with a bunch of um, like injuries, and I, I, one of the guy their best players was having a, a child, um, and then there was suspensions. So they had a fairly depleted squad recently. They've only gotten four points from their last five games, all draws, and are sitting in seventh place. But the league's a total logjam, so they could easily jump higher up into the table if they get a win on Saturday against Northern Colorado Hailstorm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for you to come and see a game so you can, you know, um, give me your thoughts on on what it looks like and everything. Yeah, I'm excited to get up there, and that will absolutely be happening at some point. I would love to see them play the, the Hailstorm so we could turn around and talk shit to winners and losers. Yeah, I mean, uh, the head-to-head record on the season is uh, one win for Madison and one tie. So, you know, this is the last game of the year between those two teams, and I'm I'm hoping that, you know, Hailstorm come next year will still be seeking their first victory over Madison. Because, um, yeah, that would be great. Th- those guys are not going to be happy to see me when I go and visit them out in Denver. I will be talking sufficient shit about the hailstorm. Um, so, yeah, I might not make it back in one piece. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you'll do fine. Um, but yeah, this is. I think our next subject is really what both of us are pretty excited for right now. Um, the U.S. men's national team kind of weekly talking points, so to say. Uh, Al, do you want to start with what we have at the top here, or do you want to do another one yeah. first? No, no, we could start at what's at the top. And um, I just want to like preface this by saying that I, I think like in the community, the men's national team community on Twitter, our opinions have been like extremely unpopular this week. But I, I don't think I've felt more conviction 
behind a subject like this. And as I go back and look at the takes that we've had over the last year, I mean, we've had this show for a year, about a year now, right? It's, it's season two. Um, I go back and I look at our Josh Sargent takes and our Ricardo Pepe takes and our Jordan P. Fock takes. We've been spot on on just about everything. And so it's hard not to, you know, feel like some degree of confidence behind the analysis. But um, I think like the top of this list is like, don't fix what isn't broken. And fantasy isn't reality. And that mostly pertains to Christian Pulisic and Wes McKinney. Um, there's been a lot of talks in the community about Pulisic switching teams, um, Weston switching teams, both of them specifically linked with United, Pulisic among other teams. And then Serginho Des linked to United, which I think we're a little less um, uneasy about. But the whole Pulisic conversation to start things off, I think, has kind of gotten out of control. So may, maybe, Ryan, do we start with Christian Pulisic? Yeah, Um it's, you know, it's an interesting situation because it's not like, it's not exactly true to say nothing's broken there because he's not playing all the time. And it's not like his ideal situation in terms of playing time and being valued within the squad or whatever. But you have to look, you know, and the old, to just throw more cliches in here, like the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And Talking about United as a viable destination for Christian Pulisic, in my mind, is just absolutely ridiculous. Like, it's the place is not stable right now. And even uh, beyond that, look at somebody like um, Jaden Sancho, who was clearly more talented than Pulisic, is wallowing over there. So, why is it like that he will be so much better off there? Um, in that specific instance, you know, and then I think there's the general about does he need a move? Does he not need a move? I think both Al and I are more on the side of like a move isn't totally necessary. And therefore, the correct move is the only one that's really acceptable. One that like overtly enhances his station within a squad to give him the type of game time he needs but also like playing in the correct areas uh that are you know where he wants to be playing other than that it's kind of like why would he actually move you know going to juventus even or going to manchester united especially are not spots where it's just like yeah that's definitely what he should do instead of say stay at chelsea i think by any means no, I 100% agree. Um, there's only like one spot that I actually think could be a good move for him, and that's and that's Newcastle for me personally. But besides that, like this conversation about him needing to leave Chelsea has been an ongoing conversation for a very long time. Like we would joke around every week last year that oh, people are going to say Pulisic needs to move, and then he's going to go out and he's going to do something, and it's going he's going to demonstrate to everybody why he needs to be on the pitch, and for really like. It's not, it hasn't been one year. It's been like two years at Chelsea. This has been going on and on. And it's this streaky situation where like the entire fan base is like, well, he needs to leave. And then he goes and like performs in the Champions League or scores like a Champions League goal or wins the Champions League final. And um, this, it, this conversation's literally been happening for two years. And so we're two games into the season. He's played each of the two games. Yeah, he hasn't got the minute share that he's wanted, but he, there's nothing wrong with replacing Raheem Sterling and he's he's replacing him over Hakeem Zayek like this his situation could be a lot worse you know Tuchel has been coaching Pulisic since he was a kid and so this idea that like Tuchel doesn't like him it's just such a far-fetched idea or the idea that like Pulisic should be playing over someone like a Mason Mount it's it's just it, like it just shows like a lack of understanding about what's actually happening in in the day-to-day 
or the idea that Pulisic hasn't been given a chance. I mean, remember last year he was given opportunities at both wingback positions and he just didn't have the defensive posture to do it. And even still, it's Timo Werner that they end up getting rid of and Pulisic is the first one off the bench for Raheem Sterling. And there's just, for me, there's nothing wrong with that situation. Like his minutes are going to come. He's going to continue to play. And even in, in a situation where he's logging a huge minute share, I'm not convinced that that's actually what's right for him, both in terms of his durability, but also just in terms of day-to-day training. Like it's great to have to, it, it's great to have to compete. That's, that's really good for player development. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to, I guess, give a little bit of clarification on the point of like, uh, it's when you say it, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. I think you're speaking directly about like his, him getting, sorry, when you say that he is getting these, you know, lesser number of minutes and there's nothing wrong with that. It's in terms of like assessing his station within the team. Uh, that's right. There's, you could probably make an argument. There's something wrong with it in terms of like what his desire is and what he would need to be like really getting um, into into ideal form. But I, I think that does have to be um, like bookended on the other side with the his propensity towards soft tissue injuries and and trying to avoid that. And I, and I think kind of to your point with all that, if even if he were to go somewhere, go to somewhere like Newcastle, he probably would end up if he was a starter being one of the first guys subbed out, you know, and, and maybe that's like the ideal playing time situation for him, but he's never going to get that type of situation at a place like Chelsea or probably Manchester United and Juventus for that matter. No, he won't. And, um, you know, one of the things about Pulisic and this is, you know, like, I don't, I don't like that. This is the case. I would have loved if he got time at the wingback positions last season and crushed it and solidified himself as a guy who can play those roles. But the truth, the truth is, is like Pulisic can really like, he really only plays like one and at most two positions on the field. He plays, you know, like a left wing or, you know, an outside striker an inverted, an inverted winger, I guess you could call it. Um, and he does it on the left side primarily, but he can do it on the right as well. <laughs> Those positions are one of the most common positions for a team to deploy young talent. And so it's not just him having to compete against every offensive player that can play that role. For every really good team he's going to be on, he's also going to be competing with the Wonder Kids that are jockeying for minutes. So it's just a, it's a highly competitive position. And it's a huge, it's a huge compliment that he's you know, that he's backing up one of the elite players at that position on a team that's going to compete in the Champions League this year, or at least so I think they will. I mean, they won it two years ago. It's a huge compliment, and that's, that's why I say there's nothing wrong with it. Um, and I really do get concerned if he's going to make a move that that move has a very high likelihood of being um, a misstep. Yeah, and, and really, I guess, to kind of put a bow on this entire thing, it's this is what, you know, the, the beginning statement of like, don't fix what isn't broken and fantasy isn't reality um, is, you know, encompassed within all this type of stuff. There's, there's no reason for, for him to move unless it's like very clear it's going to be better. And in terms of like Weston McKinney, it, it's ridiculous. He's on Juventus. He just got the number eight shirt. It's fine. He's fine. Like, but it's not even a real thing to talk about him moving. Uh, and with Sergio Des, though, um, you know he's not going to get a lot of time in all likelihood at Barcelona. And seeking a, a move is probably good for him. 
and he could do a lot worse than Manchester United. You know, having that relationship with Ten Hag is pretty good, but at the same time, I don't know. The volatility at that place is terrifying to me, and I don't, I don't want any player that I want to succeed to go there. And it's not just because of my like wanting them to lose mentality. <laughs> no, I hear you. It's it's um, when some of the best players in the world and some of the best young prospects in the world are having a hard time succeeding. It's it's makes me really question why any yeah. why would it be any different with our guy and why would it be any different just because Ten Hag's there now like there's there's no evidence to prove that those things are suddenly going to be different if anything there's evidence in the, to the contrary I agree um, so what what other men's national team topics do we want to cover off on does it make sense to talk about um, the recent uh, Jesus Ferreira uh, transfer values that have been discussed. Oh yeah, those those MLS journalists, air quotes, um, like to make sure everybody knows how much everything should be worth over there because that's how monopoly money land works. Uh, and I just actually find it like silly and humorous. To there was a recent tweet that came out where it was like, oh, if Pepe did this in MLS and his transfer was this, then. Jesus is doing this. What would his transfer value be? And it's like, well, Pepe's production in MLS has transferred to no production overseas. So therefore, what would Jesus's production transfer to? Um, This like idea to pin somebody else's um, transfer value to Pepe's based upon what Pepe's MLS production was was is just it's ridiculous and silly. You know, Al, as we talk about quite frequently, it has a lot more to do with like marketing and trying to like get assets to like be valuable and uh, and all the all that kind of stuff that goes into to business, you know. So. I I don't know, I I almost just like want to laugh this kind of stuff off. It it sucks that uh, quite a few people take this type of thing seriously, though. Yeah, I mean, the the reason why I. I don't you know the reason why we even discuss it and indulge it on the show is because it's consistent with the narrative that we had a year ago and um we got a lot of i mean i know that i personally got a lot of shit for it like there was a lot of like hey man you wear a tinfoil hat type of thing going on but our my opinion at the time was like this was a move rooted in boosting um the precedent basically boosting the baseline of what an mls transfer is going to look like it set the precedent that the dollar amount was going to be higher than it otherwise would be um, and you saw that with an American equity owner buying an American player for club overseas. And, and I thought it was like, okay, well, this, you know, uh, what's his name? Is it David Blitzer? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, David, David Blitzer. Trying, he's trying to set the expectation that this is what MLS players are going to be uh, transferred for. Um, and the amount was just like such an egregious amount compared to what Augsburg had ever spent that it just like, you know, you, you could, I couldn't find a transfer that was comparable in um, any team's history. And I, I like actually spent time looking for it. Um, so I think it's worth bringing up because it actually like validates that notion a little bit to say, well, you know, Pepe went for this much and, and ipso facto, yeah. Jesus, need, Jesus needs to go for that much as well. I'm a huge Jesus Ferreira fan. I'm, I'm a believer that like that guy is the one that should have moved. I like him for the men's national team. Like I like, I like what he does in MLS. Like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of him, but it's just a, it's such an arbitrary thing to say. Um, and you wouldn't see any other 
like you wouldn't see that happening in any other league. Like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to act like I follow like the reporters from like the Dutch league or the Brazilian league or, you know, any, any of the other major leagues, but I, you just, I would be surprised if they use that type of expectation that so-and-so from our league went for this much. Therefore yeah. this guy needs to go for this much as well. I mean, they just don't need to. So it's a, it's totally, totally different. Um, yeah, uh, I think we'll probably get into a little bit more tangential stuff to that as we move down the list here. But um, now into what just happened a couple hours ago and uh, or, you know, more happened a couple hours ago. And, uh, you know, a, a kind of a developing story on what we talked about a, a bit before. The number nine position for the U.S. men's national team is one that is it's a wide open race. We had talked about that, I think, on our first pod this season. Um, and we mentioned a bunch of different people with the potential to, you know, get their name into the hat. And a few of the guys have done really well. Most recently today, uh, Josh Sargent just played for Norwich and he scored two goals. And beyond that, he just had a great all round game and the manner in which he scored his goals, especially the first one, the give and go is really nice, but the parts that really impressed me where that touch to get the ball out from his feet and give himself enough enough space to just absolutely roof it into the near post. Um, he, every inch of that play, he did exactly what he wanted to do. Uh, but yeah, what's your feeling on, on Josh here? Cause this is what two games in a row with goals. He looks like he's, he's gaining steam. Um, well, even his second goal was like the epitome of why I like him. It's just like he's sandwiched between two dudes and ends up winning the ball and not only winning the ball, but like, distributing it and taking a dude out in the distribution process who's trying to like play as physically with sergeant as sergeant's able to play with him and that's like one of his gifts you know he's like an extremely like strong player um and he sets himself up for a second goal and finishes just like beautifully um so i've uh, i mean we've been saying this for a while like sergeant's just this like underappreciated player and it's it's hard to vocalize how supportive we are of the guy when he's playing for a team like Norwich that's getting steamrolled at the bottom of the table. Um, but he's always been a great player. And he, he just, you know, in my in my opinion, he's just a better version of Jesus Ferreira. And that nine position in the men's national team is specifically set up for a guy who can uh, offer good hold-up play and, you know, can finish when he's asked to. So I think he deserves a chance. And I think if he gets the chance, he's going to run with it because he's, I, I believe he's the best nine that we have. Yeah. I don't think that his like, um, other skill sets his he has an extremely well-rounded skill set. Um, and I don't think many of those have, have been like really bad. It's the confidence in front of goal, um, and, and the, the decisiveness that we're really lacking for him. Uh, at, at different points and, and very severely actually at points last season. And that was the only point where I was like, all right, this kid is just, he's not ready to be called up at all. You know, you got to give him time. He, he's not going to actually function well for us in this state, but you see some of that rust or, or whatever, try, starting to fall off a bit, you know, a little, a, a goal here and there, it, it helps get you some confidence. And, and you could see it even throughout the game today that he was like, Oh, all right, let's go. You know? And, um, like you were saying, there's there's not other guys in the squad that really have the type of type of skills that he did. And we actually, I think it's five months ago now, or yeah, five months ago now, Al, um, that we did that podcast entitled Sergeant Kai, where we kind of broke down the, the skill set uh, and actually some of the the, the similarities in how um, Sergeant 
and Kai Havertz both uh, work well with Pulisic specifically and, uh, you know, just go going into like overlapping skill sets, people playing together and what Sargent can really bring to the table. And um, yeah, that one, I think, uh, you know, rings fairly true at this moment in time. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, those skill sets that we highlighted, I felt like were on full display today. And um, I mean, you and I had talked about this in the offseason. I don't think we ever published any content related to it, but we're like, he's going to go to the championship and he's going to score a shit ton of goals. And um, even when you and I were texting earlier this week, you know, we're like, this it should indicate in some ways the sunset of, of Timo Pukki because they had you know, Sargent was good enough that they went out and bought him. You know, they didn't get him on like free transfer and they invested in him and they have to find a replacement to Pookie at some point. And right now Sargent's showing to be that guy. So I fully expect Norwich to keep giving him minutes at the nine. Oh yeah. You can, I can guarantee you right now there are people in Norwich that are recording podcasts about how they think that Sargent is the future for them. Yeah. And that he should be starting from here on out uh, until he like goes cold, you know? And, And that's really what, what I would want to do with him right now. Also, it's not like he's going to be this every single game forever. You know, he's going to, he's still pretty young. He's probably going to get cold a little bit, but you should, they should just be riding him, see what he's got. And, uh, you know, they got Timo Puki sitting there in the wings and he can step in when Sargent's having a poor game. So this is for the U S men's national team, only a good thing because we really need somebody to step up. Uh, P folks done a pretty good job in his transition to Union Berlin. We'll see what he does tomorrow. But, uh, this is just another person throwing their name into the hat and we'll see, you know, how this all shakes out. Uh, selection for the September window is going to be, be really, really important. And I think, um, these guys are giving Burhalter some more tough decisions to make than we thought he would have initially. And I don't know, tough decisions in Burhalter are always scary, but gosh, I hope, hopefully he ends up bringing the correct players to Jordan Morris. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, now that we talked a little bit of shit about Burhalter, I think that transitions well into Gladbach's Twitter activity. Oh, man. Yeah. So we're not the only ones shit talking Burhalter. Uh, Gladbach as a team is also shit talking Burhalter. When I first saw this, man, I was like, I can't even believe this. They're. <laughs> Just being like, why in, Why is uh, Joe Scaly not getting picked? Like, he's starting all the time for us. Good enough for that. Not sure why he's not good enough for the U.S. men's national team. <laughs> uh, I, most people were just having a, a great time with that um, earlier today. It was uh, That was a blast and, and not something I was expecting to see. Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. I'm, I'm glad that they have the cojones to go ahead and put that out there. Yeah, they didn't tag the US MNT, but uh, there were a few people that were not too shy to do that. Uh, no, there there wasn't. Uh, oh man, yeah, the, the poor the poor interns over at USSF are having themselves a day. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, they did, comes with the they territory, it, I guess. Yeah. yeah, they deserve it. Like, I don't know what to say, man. I don't feel yeah. that sorry for them. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to have to deal with the shit. Don't work for, uh, don't work for, I mean, like Exxon, don't work for Exxon Mobil or whoever. Yeah, whoever pretty much, business. pretty much sums up my feelings on the matter. Um, right there with you. So, <laughs> um, but Joe Scally starts today, and um, 
you know, you and I got on a call before we decided to shoot, and we, we were talking about the starting um, right back for the men's national team. And I mean, conventional wisdom would say that Serginho Dest starts in that position, but I actually have some serious hesitations if there's a game tomorrow, especially a must-win game, uh, starting Serginho Dest. Yeah, you had, uh, when we talked earlier, you had said, you know what, I think I would start Scaly over Dust. And I even like was like, you know what, I'll do you one better. I would be very comfortable starting Reggie Cannon. And, you know, I'm willing to admit that like Dust is undeniably the most skilled of them. Uh, but just because that is true doesn't necessarily mean he should be in the, be a locked in starter. There's a lot of factors to this, um, you know, Dust's uh, tendency to get forward can become a liability. It also can be a, his greatest strength. Uh, but there's also like the balance of the team to consider. And um, the what I saw in some games where they had Reggie Cannon there, and then a lot and going kind of unbalanced and having it so Jedi's bombing forward with a bit more freedom on the other side. I kind of like that asymmetric look. I think it works very well overlapping Pulisic on the left and then allowing Tim Weah to have more uh, space to be the wide outlet on the right, considering he's right-footed. So to me, there's a lot of little things like that that actually lean, in terms of system considerations, away from Dest. But I, I don't think you or I, Alex, would ever argue that like these players are better or more skillful than Serginho Dest. It's more of a like a form and system issue. And especially when I consider playing against like real top opposition, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too conservative because I think in order to really compete against top opposition, you have to put, you know, your best foot forward, but there's a difference between, you know, being foolhardy and, um, and, and asserting yourself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, here in all fairness like if ricardo pepe were balling out with augsburg regardless of how much i said um i think he's going to struggle or i don't think this is the right move if he were playing well i'd want him as our starter and so um i don't have like any you know um i'm not like a zealot for any of these guys i don't like die on the hill of any of our players and at the end of the day like who who's playing the best in their position has a huge bearing on who I want to start. And, um, you know, we've kind of even come out and said that if, um, if rain is like not healthy or he isn't logging minutes before the world cup, um, it's like senseless to start him. And I, I think like the point that I'm trying to make is like a lot of this comes down to like, where is a player in a certain moment? And, um, beyond that, it's also like, what does the team look like? And how are we, how are we deploying the talent on the pitch? Um, it's been like here, there were times last year when we were talking about Serginio Dest and I was like, that's the best player on the men's national team. Like that's the most talented player on our, on our squad. And um, after watching him play in the men's national team setup, there's like a lot of moments, especially as an inverted wing back where I look at him play and I'm like, it's just a, it's a mess. Like it's a little bit clustery. Um, you know, sometimes he loses the ball in dangerous spots and that compromises us defensively, especially if Anthony Robinson's all the way up the pitch on the left side of the field. Um, and I think all those stuff, all those things can be resolved. But I also think that like who you're playing and being more defensively sound and, and um, sacrificing like a little bit of offense or a little bit of space for Tim Weah to operate so that um, Anthony Robinson can feel a little bit more liberated going up the field might be worth it. And if Dest isn't logging minutes and really 
focusing on that offensive piece of his game that's so dangerous and it's it all compromised you know you're really foregoing a lot of defensive security for um a questionable offensive asset and it's questionable in the sense of like how well is he going to play and it's questionable even like how is it going to mesh with what's what's happening um because i don't think the team is is particularly well situated to be playing with one another i don't think that they've had a ton of minutes logged next to one another where they're like they know each other's styles of play and they're totally good to go um and maybe that's not a fair criticism but i guess at the end of the day what i'm trying to say is like a lot of ranking scally over dest for a game that could happen tomorrow is situational it has to do with how many minutes are being logged today and the willingness to compromise uh defensive stability for offensive prowess yeah, and I, at the core for me, when we talk about these type of things, I really don't like, um, you know, f- just a foregone conclusion. Unless it's like very clear that something is true, just being like, well, yeah, he's automatic starter, or Reyna is the automatic starter once he's back and healthy. I, I, I think there's just way, way more things to consider, uh, and it's it's just it's wrong to to think about things so myopically, um, and it doesn't give you the the full picture, you know? So it doesn't mean that it, Dust isn't going to end up being the starter if he gets a good run of games and looks the best, but I, I think there's just so much more to consider as, you know, we've both kind of beaten a dead horse at this point about it. Agreed. Uh, but yeah, that kind of wraps up our USMNT uh, talk for the week. Now into the EPL side of it. Do you want to go first with Everton or you want me to roll into Liverpool here? You roll into Liverpool. Okay. So Liverpool, uh, disappointing again, get a 1-1 home draw versus Crystal Palace. Uh, you know, that Darwin Nunez, terrible red card. I am guessing that Klopp um, doesn't trust him very much right now. And he's heard it a lot from people behind the scenes. Uh, the injuries are already kind of kind of not great for them uh, early in the season. And then they really are lacking a cutting edge. Um, Sadio Mane, anyone? But right. at least at least they got Luis Diaz. The guy is uh, absolutely insane. Yeah, what's your feeling on that game? Um, I was blown away um, at their ability to come back. Um, I mean, Luis Diaz basically put the team on his back. Um, it's very rare to see players at that level be able to single-handedly change the tides of the game um i still think like darwin's like an incredible talent but he's going to have some serious growing pains integrating into that team um and i think it's like for any player not just darwin but for any player who's making any sort of leap whether it's from the united states to europe or whether it's from you know the portuguese league to the epl the top team in the epl there is a mental there's a mental gap that comes with that and he's going to have to fight off the neuroses that come with uh, the feelings of insecurity. So I'm a little bit worried for Darwin in that sense, but I think he's like an incredible talent. Yeah, it's not, it's definitely not a good start. Uh, He's in a good spot in terms of like, there is as much as I'm saying they're pissed at him right now, they have a really good support structure. They'll help them through it. It's just, you don't see these type of things from Liverpool often. I think like a second yellow for Andy Robertson, like a really long while ago, maybe like, partway through something last season was the last red card. Like you just don't see it out of Liverpool. Um, 
And so it's kind of shocking when it ends up happening, especially one that was as petulant as that, where like the dude baited the shit out of him, you know, and he just took it. Right. So that that's the kind of thing that the, the maturity and all that. Um, and as you're kind of getting into that, the the shirt can weigh heavy uh, when you go to this type of a team and how he recovers from this mistake is going to show a lot about him. But he's got a few days to think or games to think about it. I think that's a three match ban. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, um, he'll, have some, he'll have some time to think of it. And again, like you said, the support system is there for him to get past it. It's just a matter of like his willingness to do it. Yeah, for sure. And now we got that Manchester United away game. It, it's an absolute must win for them. And I mean, it's a, you would think United want the points equally as much. That game on Monday is going to be absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I like to think Liverpool should beat them easily because United are just all over the place right now. But I don't know. Their lack of a cutting edge makes me think that Liverpool are actually kind of vulnerable. Yeah. Um, this game is like kind of a dire game for each team. Um, as much as I want to be like, oh, United are underperforming. I mean, Liverpool are as well. And as much as I want to say the pressure is on United to get a result or get anything, mm-hmm. pressure is equally on Liverpool. Um I predict a bounce back game for Liverpool that sets them on the that sets them on the up and up. That's what I think is going to happen. But what do you think will happen? I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, but I gotta say I'm nervous about it. It's not. It is not straightforward at all. I could really see the game script playing out where like Liverpool's lack of cutting edge makes it so that it's a much closer game than it really should be based upon like how many you know who dominates the ball and how many chances are getting created and. I, we've seen United snake goals before. And when you got Ronaldo in the team, it makes it that much more likely. So there is a like, not super likely, but not super unlikely path that leads to like a, a, a narrow United victory in this type of game. Yeah. Um, I could see that there's been, there's been talk that, um, Fissures that Liverpool are starting to show are similar to the ones that Klopp experienced at Dortmund. I don't know if you mm-hmm. buy into any of that. Have you heard that? I haven't heard any of that yet, and um, yeah, I'm not sure. I I entirely entirely agree with it. I I think they do need to uh, turn the squad over a little bit more, specifically in the midfield. I don't expect them to sign anybody else, but. Uh, yeah, I I think it, this season might not be quite as good as I was initially hoping. <laughs> Were you guys like won almost every major trophy? Yeah, yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we move on to the um, the glory of Liverpool, the the pride of Liverpool, <laughs> yeah. Everton? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so um, Everton lose last week two to one um, away to Villa. Uh, they still haven't scored a goal themselves. Uh, I saw this crazy uh, stat on Luca Dean that, like, I think it's like in it's like in two or three years. It might be three years. Um, Luca Dean scored two goals and an uh, an own goal for Everton against Aston Villa. Yeah, (laughs) I remember during the game when he scored, there was like he scored for both these teams themselves. (laughs) So. It's just they're just like the little giants of uh, of soccer. It's awesome, but um, yeah. So it, it kind of sucks though for real because they're my team and they can't score goals. Um, so they're kind of like in dire straits. Um, Frank's in the hot seat, and um, 
you know, it's so funny, Ryan, because like for those of you who are listening, Ryan's tried to convince me over and over that like there's nothing between Rafa Benitez and Frank Lampard and, and like a total a hole. I was like, no, Ryan, look, Frank Lampard saved us, but like he's shown some seriously questionable tactics and some seriously questionable substitutes in the last few games. Um, and I'm not saying he should be gone uh, or that being in the hot seat is valid because that would that would be perpetuating the problem and like the fans probably need to stop doing that. But um, he is in the hot seat regardless for those particular reasons. Um, the good news is that the new signings look good. Um, Amadou Onana, who's a, a Belgian 21-year-old, literally yeah, just he looks more very good. He looks really good. Um, you really need something like that. Yeah, we do, especially because uh, uh, he's very Abdu versatile Ali, too. Totally. Um, Abdou Ali Decore picked up a hamstring injury. Of course. So, yeah. So it's this really interesting situation where like Everton players keep picking up injuries, but their signings are they're playing right. So the signings have, mm-hmm. been, have been useful, which is you yeah. Know, once is, you guys get to full health, maybe it'll stabilize. Maybe, except for we still don't have any forwards. I'm, I'm still surprised at, like, um, I wonder if there's something going on with Moise Keane, like why they haven't recalled him. I know he's, um, I think he's serving, like, a hmm. red card suspension in Juventus right now, but, like... Yeah, that's, that is true. He's, he's uh, somebody that you would, would want to have. Like, he's a way better option to playing Anthony Gordon out of position or what I think is going to be happening next week, <laughs> Solomon Rondon. So... Oh, yeah, you guys are going to score so many goals with him. <sighs> so we've um, got Nottingham Forest next. Connor Cody though is he's very good at spraying balls out of that back like center back middle of the three center back position. I think it I think it helps you guys a lot get um from I mean it's a really basic thing I'm gonna say, but like from back to front efficiently and, and precisely, he's a really important cog in that type of thing. And for teams of Everton station, something like that can be like a big deal in terms of just like getting into goal-scoring goal positions more often. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, it's, geez, for a guy who had been in the team for like less than a week, Connor Cody played a fantastic game. And um, he's just he's just a good addition. Um, so you were excited when he joined. And, I mean, that's the silver lining. It's like their, their transfer window looks good. But the problem is, is they've got they've got Nottingham Forest. And for me, I oh, mean, they're at yeah. home, right? Um, mm-hmm. For me, I, I think Nottingham Forest, like Nottingham Forest, is, if I were gambling, that's who I'd be gambling on. I'd be gambling uh, two to one Forest. Yeah, they're a tough team. Um, I don't think they're. I, I kind of expect Forest to win as well, but um, you know maybe Everton, Everton can get it together. But that lack of goal scoring from Everton is probably going to be decisive again. Uh, yeah, it's not a good time for Everton to have to host Forest, and it's one where you would be like, "Oh, newly pro- promoted team, we should be yeah. able to get some points. Who's going to get relegated this year? Us or the newly promoted team?" You know, like this isn't a good game to be thinking that you're going to lose. Yeah, that, uh, you sized it up really well. This is a uh, relegation picture game, and losing this has some hu- huge downstream implications. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into our shared favorite, uh, America's favorite, uh, Wisconsin's own Jesse Marsh's Leeds. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good over lead over at Leeds. That two two away draw, it, they get a point off Southampton, but you know they start really brightly. They just didn't close the game out well. Um, a, kind of a sloppy goal, especially on that, that first one, I want to say, if I'm remembering correctly, to concede. Um, 
you really, really would want them to, from a 2-0 winning position, win the game, you know? And it really makes it feel like two points lost here, where where Leeds should be should be sitting pretty with six points. They're they're on four instead. Uh, yeah, what do you think about the game and then what that says about Leeds in general? Oh, I, I think you sized it up perfectly. Um, they should have they should have pulled out two more points from that game, and um, it just shows like a lack of discipline at this point. Um, and I think that's like pretty common. Like they they might never be lacking energy under Marsh's leadership, but discipline's another story, and they're going to have to probably learn how to, to capture that the hard way. Yeah, and it's going to be difficult to capture that uh, at home this coming Sunday against Chelsea. Uh, I think you um, had brought up earlier, Al, that this is the type of team that you expect Chelsea to actually like, kind of kind of dominate. Yeah, I expect them to dismantle Leeds. Um, you know, Chelsea, like Chelsea, really did outperform. Um, Spurs last week like they were by far and away the better team and I know a lot of people don't like Tuchel's style of play they think it's boring they think it lacks offense but it's defensively very sound and and where it can be dangerous offensively is against teams that throw themselves forward into um, a defensive unit that's not going to be broken down Um, I think Leeds is going to be susceptible to the counter attack and I think Chelsea is going to be looking to exploit that and know that they can Um, so I see this as a game uh, for Chelsea's offense to really take off. And I um, wouldn't be surprised if Pulisic's on the field if he hasn't pissed off the coach already. Um, but this is the type of game that I could see Pulisic getting some serious minute share in. Um, so I see it as a bounce-back game for Chelsea's offense and potentially a bounce-back game for Pulisic as well. Assume, yeah, like, that, assuming that Zayek isn't going to be getting his minutes. Yeah, we'll see how we'll see how it all, all plays out. I actually hadn't thought about what you said with Pulisic getting more minutes in this type of game, but it, it does ring true. Uh, and this actually transitions nicely into our... Um, we each have a takeaway uh, from week two, and yours, Al, was that Chelsea are better than, than people think. Yeah, um, there was a lot of commentary that I saw out there about, like, oh, Chelsea's not good, like... Um, they got dominated by Spurs. There were there were like a few people who said that, and I was just like so shocked to hear that um, because they clearly put on a show in that game, and Spurs were so fortunate to be able to pull a point away. Like both of those goals were extremely fortunate goals. Um, and truth be told, Chelsea look a lot better than I expected them to. I was I was really uncertain how their um, transfers would um, would blend in. Uh, I think Koulibaly is uh, at the very least sufficient replacement to Rudiger. Um, but early on, I mean, he looks every bit as good as Rudiger, at least to me personally, like he's, he's got some serious offensive muscle that I didn't realize he had coming into this team. And he's been a coveted transfer target for, for a pretty long period of time. And while they signed him out of desperation, I mean, the guy looks fantastic. And, um, you know, there's, there's talks about, well, they lost, um, Christensen as well, but, um, God, what's his name? The, uh, the, the dude with the dreadlocks who came out of nowhere last year. Who's the de- help remind me? Who's the defensive Chalaba? player? Chalaba, Trevor Chalaba. Um, he's right there to back up the unit as well. So just Chelsea's an impressive team to me, and they look a lot better than expected. Yeah, uh, that I, I think I had mentioned last week. Something I was looking for in week two was what was going to happen in that Tottenham Chelsea game. How was that going to give us greater clarity about how some of the top teams measured up against one another and 
uh, yeah, this is what Al's saying is, is, is how they measure up against one another. It, it seems like Chelsea are better than, than both him and I. Chelsea are better than what we thought they'd be, at least relative to Tottingham. And I got to say, um, Cucarella, who I call the Chucacabra, yeah. uh, <laughs> he's fucking good, dude. Oh yeah, he's very skillful on the ball, um, and he he helps them a ton. Yeah, agreed. Um, what's your what's your take after week so, two? What's the biggest takeaway? Yeah, mine's pretty basic here, but I just think Arsenal are going to be absolutely box office this year. Four goals against uh, Leicester. Uh, Jesus Ferreira, or not Jesus Ferreira, Jesus Gabriel like, yeah. Jesus is up and running. Um, and that first goal he scored, did you see that? the highlight of that or did you watch the game uh yeah i mean the guy's a beast it's unreal the like ball at his feet very like or ball comes to him while he does he can't like move his his plant foot and he just curls it right into the far post from like a tight angle uh nice header at the back post but they are an exciting team they're going to be a ton of fun to watch I, i don't know how um responsible they'll be at the back all the time but they look like they're out to score goals and I'm going to try to watch a ton of Arsenal games this year because it's it's going to be worth it. It's it's worth tuning in to them. Uh, then I'll, I guess moving on to week three and what what's coming down the pipeline. Al, what are you interested in? Um, I you know as a guy who likes bottom feeder teams in Everton, I always look at the other bottom feeders and they make me uh, pe- they pique my interest, so to say. Make uh, you jealous. They do. Both of these guys make me jealous. Fulham and Brentford. Um, I'm really interested in that game because um, Brentford have been so disciplined um, and have been able to like muscle out uh, way better results than were expected in two performances in a row. Um, I mean, they obviously burnt the doors off of United in the last game, but Fulham have also... I don't think that they expected to be coming out of the first two games wishing that they... Um, had gotten better results than draws. Um, they should have probably won both of their first two games. And so like the question for me is, is like, can Fulham come with a little bit more discipline and, and beat Brentford? And Brentford's going to have their hands full regardless. I'm really interested in Fulham-Brentford. I think it's going to be a great game. Yeah, no, they're both teams with like uh, pretty hot starts. And so, is something going to give? You know, what is it that's going to give? Who's it going to be? Um so yeah, this this is of of all the kind of like more middle of the road games. This one seems like the the highlight of them for sure. Uh, what about you? I'm excited actually for Newcastle Manchester City, and the reason is is that I want to see kind of this is a good a good window into what is Newcastle going to be made of. Manchester City is obviously the class of the league, and Newcastle is a a team on the rise that it seems like they they really have a good idea of what their project is and how to get to where they want to be. So this is like an early measuring stick in terms of, you know, where they're actually at right now versus a team that they're more or less trying to emulate the trajectory of. So we'll see exactly, uh, you know, what Newcastle has. They got their home versus Man City. I don't really expect them to be able to get any points out of this because City's such a juggernaut right now. But Maybe they'll surprise us and, uh, you know, maybe they will at, at the least not 
make Man City work for it. Make them, you know, ha- sneak out a 2-1 win. Something not just like 4-0-ish. So, yeah, that's what I'm interested in seeing. I certainly hope that happens. It would be nice to to see City, uh, like, have to break a sweat to win a game. Yeah, some speed bump. Like, Erling Holland, I think, just smashes right through speed bumps. But come on, Nick, at least put it out there. Um, well, dude, um, I'm excited to watch some ball tomorrow. Um, it will be, like, the perfect remedy to kick this COVID cough. Um, oh, I thought Josh Sargent Brace is just cure COVID. Oh, dude, I, I'm honestly, like, as soon as... As soon as Josh Sargent scored his second goal, my wife my wife woke up from a six hour nap and was like, "Covid's gone." So um, he's a miracle worker. Yeah, you heard heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. Good recording. Um, good hanging out, and um, I look forward to connecting with you next week to talk about week three. Absolutely. Have a good one, everyone. All right. Take care.